You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, it's Luke Hector here on the 19th of March 2023, fresh back from the cruise. Yes, thank you for everybody who wished me well on there. I have finished my week holiday, shall we say, which was for the most part pretty good actually. I mean, I basically joined um, uh, my mates on a cruise, four of us, two of us sharing, and we went on an MSC cruise, Virtuoso I think was the ship, and we left Southampton and went around to Northern Europe places. So we, what did we do? We did Hamburg, we did Bruges, we did Rotterdam, and we were meant to do Le Havre, but because of the French strikes going on, we actually got diverted to Amsterdam, which worked out fantastically for me because I wasn't even that keen on going to Le Havre. I've been there before and there's nothing really there, but I was also in an expensive bike tour. And then when we got announced that we were gonna have to divert to Amsterdam, they basically said, right, we're going to have to send you over there. We'll give you 50 euros credit on your bill. Um, you know, you can do what you like in Amsterdam. We'll stop there for the day and all sorts, right? Now, obviously, if you were one of those people who got on on Le Havre and then had to get off at Le Havre, you were kind of screwed. So I feel sorry for a lot of the people who did. But from my perspective, so I didn't have to go to a place I didn't want to go to in the first place. I got refunded the 70 euro or whatever it was for the bike tour. So that ended up going, you know, back to my account. I got 50 euros for the privilege of not going to the place I wanted to go. And then I also got to go to a city which I've been wanting to go back to multiple times since my ex-girlfriend, you know, and I, you know, went there last time and it got ruined for me at that point. So I wanted to go back and have a high note. And it's like, fantastic. So this is actually brilliant for me. And I'm actually getting credit on my account for it. That was awesome. The only negative was that it meant we didn't get back into Southampton until about 12 and I didn't get off my my um, thing until 2. I apologise if you can hear noisy children outside. Unfortunately, they just chose this particular moment to decide to go play outside after they've had all day to do so. But they just picked the second I start hitting the record button. Honestly, this is... Well, I mean, I can think of multiple reasons on the cruise why I don't want kids. But yeah, there's just another reason for you. But hopefully you won't hear them too much. So, yeah, the cruise was good. And, I mean, I what did I do? I had a cycle tour around Hamburg. Hamburg itself is not the prettiest city in the world, to be frank. And we went on a Sunday, so nothing was open. So it almost felt like a ghost city. Yeah, so that was a little bit uh, ho-hum. And it also wasn't the best weather, because I was, I was the only one on the cycling tour. So me and the instructor, and we're out, and it's freezing cold. But I wanted to ride on an e-bike for the first time in my life and go around Hamburg. So it's like, fine, you know, it was a decent enough day. But uh, Rotterdam, I just did my own thing. I just went for a walk around the city, took a few photos, enjoyed a bit of the sun and then went back because I've already been to Rotterdam. So I already know what's there. There wasn't really much else for me to do. But certainly Bruges and Amsterdam. Oh, wow. I loved those. Bruges, I've never been there. I wanted to check it out. And it's kind of like a a, a sort of walled in, almost like medieval like city, you know, it's got some modern elements to it, but it's been preserved a lot in terms of its look. It's all cobbled high streets. You've got 
umpteen amount of shops that are selling either chocolate, tobacco, or beer. It seems to be the three things, that, oh no, four things, waffles. Yes, those four things are in high abundance in Bruges. Wherever you look, you will see a shop selling those. And yes, I did partake in some chocolate, you know, very nice salted caramel flaky bar and stuff, but that wasn't the main thing I was doing there. I was on a guided walk tour with a very uh, friendly instructor, and I was doing a beer tasting at the Beer Experience Museum, whatever it was called. Sadly, not the Half Moon Brewery, which uh, some viewers have told me about I couldn't go in there unfortunately but we did the beer museum we did the beer experience got to taste four beers and yeah I gotta say Belgium you make the best beers you know I mean I'm I prefer cider and wine so beer is not something I go mm, delicious but I am starting to like beers a bit more I'm starting to just appreciate that you know a beer is nice easy drink to have for alcohol and yeah Belgium you make very smooth beers and even going up to like eight and a half percent beers you would they tasted fine they tasted decent you know and it's like okay there were none that i was going oh this is delicious i wanted like down a whole gallon of this but they felt like easygoing drinkable beers you know they were smooth they didn't have horrible aftertastes and for high percentage drinks as well they were particularly nice to drink so yeah i, I really enjoyed bruges you know bruges was just great I, you know i'd love to go back there again maybe do like a you know if i ever meet someone i'd love to take them there on a romantic weekend that would be great and amsterdam uh we didn't do much in amsterdam uh but i was able to just wander around the city a bit more which was nice but we went to the we wanted to go to the van gogh museum and it wasn't until we got there that we realized just how jam-packed that place is in terms of booking so it's like whoops okay it was a bit of a shame but we were able to get into the Ricks Museum or however you pronounce it and thankfully we didn't have to book miles in advance for that we just bought tickets and had a wander around now museums are not the first thing I like to go to I'm not a big history fan I'm not the most cultured individual in the world but you know what I can respect stuff that is you know important in that in that kind of thing but also I do like art I don't know anything about most artists and I certainly haven't got expertise on the thing but I can you know by playing board games and appreciating the art that goes into these board games I appreciate a good brushstroke okay I do not know who most of these artists are from various periods like romantic or renaissance or whatever I do not know the history behind a bunch of these paintings but I can look at a painting and go that's gorgeous Ah, oh, love that. That was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so I just spent most of the time around the Ritz Museum sort of bypassing most of the stuff that was like, you know, pots and pottery and oh, there's a big dish here and this is a little piano thing. And it's like, okay, fine. But then I was just staring at all the art just going, ah, it looked, it looked very good. Although, turns out I'm more of a romantic period and 1800s to 1925 type person. I'm more of that period for art. There is some scenery artwork on there that I thought was gorgeous, and I much prefer scenery to and scenery and objects to people. But as it went back in time, you know, we went back to another period and it was all about naval war history, and so all the pictures were based on that. They did look pretty cool, I've got to admit, but I preferred the stuff from before where it was lots of like winter and summer, waterfalls, trees, birds, animals hunting, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, they were beautiful. But then we went into Renaissance, and Renaissance was all basically church. It was church, it was Jesus symbolism, it was all that, it was all the same thing. Every picture just looked the same. It was all the same, all like, you know, half-naked people in cloths and, you know, Jesus on a cross and, you know, babies and angels and stuff. And honestly, I don't like Renaissance art. I'm not a religious person, I don't believe in it, and I just really didn't have an interest in the Renaissance art. But, uh, 
yeah, it was still good to at least wander around it and get a bit of an insight into it. But yeah, you know what? I enjoyed the time out. I got to have a nice sandwich at a local bar. I didn't get to have anything quintessentially Amsterdamish as such, as opposed to when I went to Bruges and had like, you know, the local beer, the local chocolate. I even bought a massive waffle with strawberries and uh, and dark chocolate smothered all over it. And I was chatting up a couple of American girls while I was there. So it was like, you know, that was good. But yeah, the cruise itself, I had to had a roommate that snored, not great. Our dining table was next to a bunch of screaming kids on their family tables, not great either. But, you know, all in all, I enjoyed the entertainment, I enjoyed the, you know, the drinks, the cocktails, I enjoyed the trip overall, and it was kind of what I needed. I needed a reset, and I, even though I was able to play some games on there. But now, i got to get back into the swing of things. I am really not looking forward to going to work tomorrow, because end of March is not good for a corporate tax accountant, and I've been away for a week, which means I'm going to have a backlog as well. I do though. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I really, really don't. But oh well, at least I can do the podcast and have a bit of fun. And yesterday was mostly just binge watching TV. You know, Blue Lock, Baruto, The Last of Us, Flash, Superman and Lois. Uh, the oh, what else was I watching? A Mandalorian, The Bad Batch. I had so much TV to catch up on, and that was before I even got into YouTube stuff. You know, you know, various Dice Tower top ten bits. You know, Angry Joe reviews. You know, other reviews that I check out. You know, there was a lot to catch up on. But yeah, it's been a decent week, but you don't want to hear about that all the time. So what else has been going on channel-wise? Well, not a lot because I took a week break. So there is no other channel stuff. You know, I didn't post anything during the time I was away. But I'm pleased to see that the subs have, you know, grown whilst around, whilst I was away. And I was very surprised to see how well the recent reviews have been doing. I mean, Hegemony, nearly 5,000. That's quite a lot for a game that is going to be very niche. But I was very proud of that review and I really enjoyed that game. So I'm glad that's doing well. Obsession, again, doing really well. You know, people were really happy with the verdict I gave of that one. Uh, the crowd surfing has done well. And this one I'm really surprised by. The Star Wars deck building game review. I thought that was just going to be come, gone, who cares about it. It's over 4,000 views and it's the most recent one I put out. I don't know how that is getting so many views. But I'm not exactly going to knock it. Okay. I'm glad it's getting a lot of reviews. And it's still kept in the 90%. Which means you just have the usual trolls who downvote everything I do. Just for the sake of trying to ruin me. But And a couple of people who just can't take an opinion that doesn't gel with theirs. And then you get the most of the people actually thumb it up and go. Oh yeah, you know, thanks for the video. Which is all good. So yeah, we'll get back into the swing of things. I've got a bunch of games to review. Some I'll mention in a minute. And I also need to do that top 10 advanced two-player games. So I'll make a I'll make it a, a proper thing to get that recorded as soon as I can, so that I can air that top ten out because I know a bunch of you enjoyed the next step and the casual ones. I mean, one of the casual ones, uh, seven and a half thousand, and next step is six and a half. Would have liked those to have breached the ten thousand mark by now, but like I say, I'll take what I can get. So yeah, there's plenty of stuff to come on the channel, which is all going to be good for you. I hope. So let's go into... Now, there isn't really going to be a debate topic here. I was debating doing a topic on whether apps and online gaming has been a good thing or a bad thing. But there's a lot to do and I'm fresh off a cruise. So I think I'm going to save that for the next one, the next podcast I do. So this one is kind of a collection of news, games I've played whilst on the cruise, but also when I got back from the cruise, because I have played some games in the last couple of days. And also to go over some actual reviews because I've got some filler games that I played over the cruise and I figured, you know what, 
why don't I actually just review them on the podcast? Because to try and do a video for each one, particularly when most of them aren't even recent games, just doesn't seem like it's worth the work to do that. So I figured I'd just review them on the podcast. But first of all, let's check out just a couple of snick teasers for games that I do have to review, but I will do proper videos for these ones. So first one is Goblin Vaults, and there's going to be two actually from Thunderworks Games. They sent me a couple of games recently. Goblin Vaults I played over the cruise as well, but mostly with only a couple of players and I think two or three max. I need to play this with more players to see if it's improved with four or five, and also check out its solo mode. But this one looked horrendously generic when I saw it at first. I thought it's called Goblin Vaults. It's the role-player universe, which, let's face it, is just generic D&D fantasy. I mean, that is all the role-player universe is. But I love role-player. I really liked role-player adventures when I played that one. Um, I'm not interested in getting the expansion, but I figured, you know, I've played it once and I enjoyed it. Uh, the... Lockup was okay, Cartographers was okay, but I, like I say, I don't care about this universe. I just think those games I mentioned were pretty good. So, yeah, I'm not exactly jumping into this for the theme, but this is a deceptively clever little card game. It's not quite trick-taking, it's kind of a mixture of that and set collection in a way, but it's this cool idea where, you know, you're playing... It's almost got a Res Arcana feel in the sense that you don't have many cards that you can use, but you're building up these columns of cards in front of you, and they'll get they'll score points based on what tiers they're in and whether they match your faction and stuff like that. But the crux of the game, which I can only show you so much, actually, because there's not many pictures here, but let me get um, this picture up. Right, so you have three cards in what's called the block, which is basically the row, all right, the, the row, and one card above it, which is the Warden card. If you play a... What you have to do is that you have to bid using a card from your hand on which card from the block you want to take. And highest value will win it, but then the Warden card acts as a trump suit. So they will top anything else. Now, if you play a card with a matching faction symbol to what the Warden card is, you also get to do a different little action which allows you to manipulate the cards in your own little tableau here, which is the only way you can do it. So that's already one cool decision. But what happens is when you bid on a card, at the end of the round, if you're the highest bid, you will get that card. But what you can also do is underbid on a card that you're not going to win. It gives a point to the person who's winning the bid. So it is a slight downside. But then you instead take the card that you placed as your bid into your collection, not the card that was in the middle. Sometimes you want the card that you're bidding with more than what's in the row. And so based on some objectives and that, you're trying to create the four columns in your tableau in various ways to score points by various means. But it's it's interesting little card game. It's hard to describe, but so far I've been intrigued. But I think with too few players, there's not enough interaction with the bidding. Three's not too bad. I think two is not great. Even when you use this little variant with a side guy throwing in a bid every now and again, it's not that interesting. I'm hoping solo's a bit more interesting than that. But I'm curious to get this played with four or five to see just how massive like tension it can be for bidding on free cards when there's all these players but so far so good so far so good this has surprised me more than i thought it would i thought this was going to be very generic and very throwaway type game but it's intrigued me rule book could be better it's certainly not the easiest one to learn from the rule book but uh once we got the hang of it it's like hmm this could be interesting oh, i get the mint tea out all right well that's a teaser for that one all right, well, let's look at Tenpenny Parks. Again, Thunderworks have sent me this one. 
I have played it with, uh, let's say I played it with three of us, and I've played it with myself um, as a solo gamer, because uh, it has got a solo mode in it, which functions mostly as the multiplayer does. You just play against an automated opponent who doesn't do most of the game, they just collect points and, and clog up spaces in various ways, and you try to beat them. Pretty easy and smooth, and doesn't require a lot of upkeep, so, you know, thumbs up for that. But Tenpenny Parks is a polyomino style game where you are building a theme park. So you have a central board with the various cards on there. Uh, you have your own board, which kind of reminds me a little bit of Barham Park in a sense. And what you do is it's worker placement. So you collect your money at the start and then you place your workers on the board to either do certain actions or collect the ride, build it pay the money, build the ride, you have to put the polyomino piece on your board, and you go up these three tracks for thrill, awe, and joy, which are emotion tracks. I mean, they certainly try to fit the theme here as best as they can for a polyomino game. And being at the top of these tracks at the end of a round can get you various bonuses and points at the end of the game. So it's kind of a cross between, I don't know, it's it's Barren Park with a theme park theme on it, which kind of fits better than the Bear Park one, to be honest. But this one throws a couple of little twists in the mix. You don't place tiles adjacent. You can't. They have. They can touch diagonally, but they can never touch each other. That's a very different way of doing it from what we're used to. But it also means you've got to expand your park quite a little bit often, more often than you used to in the past, because... You know, normally you could just try and squeeze everything you possibly could on your thing, but because you've got tree markers in the way and you can't touch adjacent tiles, it forces you to expand quite a lot compared to other games, which, like I say, it's different. It really means that the polyomino side of things requires a bit of pre-planning. Other than that, though, it's just get money, get the card, and, you know, level up these tracks. It's pretty simple, pretty light, but... It's, it's good, and it's probably one of the most well-produced games that I've seen in ages, let alone from Thunderwork games. This has got the thickest cardboard I've seen used in games, and the artwork is Vincent Dutre. I mean, this picture alone is gorgeous. You know, I've taken some pictures and put them on my Instagram. You know, look at those. Even without the filters, they look gorgeous, but with Instagram filters on, oh my god, it's a wet dream for any photographer out there. But this is a nice, light game, but I found that when I played it, Money is so paramount in this game that if you don't have a decent way to generate money, either from getting some hot dog stand concession tiles and various things like that, you're really going to struggle. You need money to buy rides, you need it to advertise for points, a bit like how it works in Jacarion, and it, money doesn't come in a lot of quantities at the start, so you really want to get those money earners quick. And so it kind of becomes the forefront of the game. A little bit over everything else which is a little bit concerning i'm worried that it's a little one note in that regard but so far i like it but it's not blowing me away as much as i would love it to after the fact that this is so well produced i mean this is a 10 out of 10 for component quality and artwork and you know just its sheer build is worth a 10 out of 10. the game itself is fine so far but i need to see what it's like with four i'm worried it's going to be a little bit uh punishing it for uh, in the sense that there's just it doesn't scale with the spaces so I'm worried that four is just going to be a bit too tight and two is going to be a bit too liberal we'll see but uh, you know so far I like it but I was hoping it would blow my mind at first and so far it's it's entertained me but it hasn't blown my mind and I really wish it was blowing my mind 
Okay, and another teaser, Orichalcum, or I think this has gone by a different name elsewhere. I mean, this is the Pandasaurus cover. I've actually got it from BlackRock Catch-Up Games and Hachette Board Games, uh, you know, the, the, that company's version. So I think I've got the European version rather than this American one. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any difference whatsoever. So it, as far as I'm aware, there's no difference. But this one is, you know, getting quite a lot of buzz lately for how simple and light it is, yet how smooth and how interesting the decision space is. Essentially, what is happening here is everybody is a table hog for sure, but everybody's got a map and you're, you've got action cards in a row in the middle. Uh, this is a better picture, actually. You can see these action cards on the top left here. And each one gives you a terrain tile of a varying size and an action you can do. You take it in turns to take one of those cards place the tile on your map with varying restrictions and then you get to do the action on the card but then you can spend resources to do bonus actions but what this is is a race to get to five victory points but you can get points by getting favor with a titan you have to build lots of the same terrain together you can build temples which actually requires the opposite you want diverse location terrain tiles but then you can also just farm a ton of gold or orichalcum as they call it and spend it to get these medallion tokens which can act through the victory point as well so you've got three main ways to get victory points but you need to get orichalcum metal you need to get hoplites as a currency you need to you know kill monsters because you must have an island free of monsters by the end of the game as well but you, it's a very tight game and with five victory points i mean dune imperium goes up to 10 you know this one only goes up to five you end up with very tight sudden death style mechanics by the time it finishes but what i'm really liking about this is i mean the production quality is great again it looks nice and colorful on the table a bit too much of a table hog yes but at least it means it's easy to see everything now it's like I say, it's doing a good job so far. I need to try it with more players. I've only done it with two. I need to try it with three and four. And there's no solo mode, unfortunately. But I'm not really certain if a solo mode would be necessary with this. I think not every game needs one. But you've got a lot of different ways that you can kind of build yourself up. A few different paths to victory. It's definitely more tactical than strategic. Because yes, you can sort of go, well, I'm going to try and get this. But then the cards and the tiles that come out might give you other ideas. It's not the most interactive game in the world because you're pretty much doing stuff on your own map. Sorry, I got a tiny bit of a headache. Um, and it's really just taking the cards. So, although there is one aspect with the the Titans where the Titans are one use and then they flip over. And then if somebody else builds or expands their area, then they can nick the Titan off you and they're worth a victory point. So there is that. It's so far a solid game, but I need to try it out some more and see if it stands the test of multiple games. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how easy it was to teach, how easy it was to learn, no ambiguities, how many options there were, even if this, the main option you wanted was taken, and just how close and tight-knit that scoring is. There's a lot to like here. Question is, is it going to continue that way? We shall see. Alright, well let's get on with, let's not going to do the, I'm going to do the news first before I get on to the reviews. So let's very quickly talk about a couple of news here. So very quickly, uh, you will recognize a couple of games called Acquire and Robo Rally. These are two pretty old games. I think Rio Grande did one of them. I'm not sure. Or maybe they did both. But, uh, you know, or Hasbro might have done the old one. But basically, Renegade games are bringing Acquire and Robo Rally back. So... Acquire is a game that was made in the 60s, I think it was, and you're basically, it's kind of got a similarity to Foundation of Rome, where you're placing, uh, like, numbered tiles 
on, I wonder if this is showing up on the zoom thing on the board, I can't tell, but you essentially place these tiles that correspond to like the row, so 1A, 3B, 4C, that kind of thing, and when you build them together, you can erect hotels, and you're buying shares in the hotels, and as they get bigger, they get more valuable, so you're trying to invest in the ones that are going to make you the richest investor. I found it fine. But I found it quite slow. This game's not a short one. It takes a while before it finishes, and you can be in a situation where you just have no way of winning. I liked it okay. I mean, for an old game, I liked it fine, but I'm not sure if I'm desperate to grab a copy of this when it comes out again. But Renegade games will have good build quality, and certainly it could use a bit of an aesthetic upgrade. So it would be cool to see what Renegade does with this one. Robo Rally... It's not really a game for me. It's chaotic, it's a programming game, but hey, you know, a lot of people like Robo Rally. You know, you program your robot's movement, and as the decks are revealed, chaos ensues. You're trying to you're moving across conveyor belts, trying to get to objectives and stuff. And as I say, it's okay, but it goes on for ages if you've built too big a map. I and mean, it says 45 to 90 minutes. I'm telling you, with a lot of players and a big map, it goes on much, much longer so it'll be interesting to see how they've curbed the time limit in this by not making it stupidly expandable but again good production quality good publisher you know this could be good so if you're into these two games then you know be on the lookout for these they're on pre-order already but you might have a chance to grab a copy like a nicer copy of what you already had or now you can finally jump into these two classics as they were okay and then the other one, well, this one makes me sl... Uh, I'm ambivalent about this one. I'm partially, ha I'm partially glad and partially not. But if you remember, there was a game called Puerto Rico. It's an oldish Euro game, and it was number one on Board Game Geek for a while. It's fine. It's an okay game. But basically, you were building up plantations and, you know, and stuff like that. And you were trying to make resources, sell them profit victory points i forget it's been a long long time since i played it but essentially it involved the use of essentially essentially slaves or you know like workers of the plantations because this was set obviously puerto rico and the theme was a little controversial for some people i mean i tend to look past that with most themes but you know i can understand why some people would not be a fan of it particularly in the modern day climate where literally you can get offended by just about anything these days but you know, then there was a big deal, uh, I believe, you know, you know, some people came together to re-theme it and re-release it as Puerto Rico 1897. So this was basically going to be the exact same game, except it got its theme renewed so that the time period was slightly changed or maybe similar. But basically you weren't carting around slaves and stuff like that. So it, it basically took out the controversial aspect of the theme. Now... There was a massive buzz about this where they're going, this game finally now has a theme. Everybody should buy it. Everybody buy, buy, buy now. And it's like, okay, you're generating a lot of hype for this just because you changed the theme. I think most people who own Puerto Rico weren't that fussed, frankly, and just simply played the game. Now, for newcomers, great. You now have a reprinted version of the game that you could grab and probably have fun with. Um, uh, you might want to hold off on that second point, though, because apparently this is getting a lot of backlash lately. And I read this the other day, but basically it's come out. Uh, I think it's got a layer's name on it and Ravensburger have got there. But apparently after it debuted at Essen at Spiel 22, which to be fair, I missed. I actually did not notice it was there. 
but apparently it's being marred with production problems. When the game debuted in Essen, copies included 16 fruit tiles instead of 12, only 4 coffee tiles instead of 8, and you know various tile misprints and you know some graphic design had basically removed a lot of text from building tiles which meant you had to look at overviews in order to find out what things did and the overview had errors i mean this is unacceptable in 2023 but i gotta give props to a, a website that i do read actually i do read this website when they come out with reviews the opinionated gamers uh don't think they do any videos they're all written reviews and you know what i seem to find that more like more written reviews these days are more what's the word um objective and honest than a lot of video reviews these days i make a big deal about a lot of preview videos basically being hype creators and stuff and you know some creators doing nothing but saying good things meaning i can't trust their opinions ever but these guys i can get you know a decent opinion out of and blimey they go to town on this game they really it, i mean the tagline is 1897 is literally unplayable. Now, you might argue that is a, what's the word, um, uh, uh, clickbait. You might understand, that's, you might think that's a clickbait title, but they're not saying this game is good, because it's basically, I mean, the words here, second paragraph, it is a letdown, and indeed, it is literally unplayable out of the box due to missing components. Even setting that problem aside, this version lacks several elements of functional design, and it goes into detail about how bad this has got. So I mentioned you've got rules mistakes in the overviews. That is horrendous. You've got missing pieces. Yes, I know that happens with other games, but come on. This is fundamental stuff. But then also, I mean, this picture that I'm showing here, uh, as shown in this next picture, the text instead appears appears instead on the back of the rulebook. Fair enough, publishers do that. But even then, for some buildings, the text is inadequate to explain the building's bonus. Take, for instance, the factory. It says you get bonus coins, but it does not say how many bonus coins. For that, you have to flip to a different part of the rulebook where the answer is embedded within text. And there's a massive paragraph of text here that says how much they get. This is, a layer could have easily put this on the tile or on the back of the rulebook, but they inexplicably chose not to. To call this a development oversight is an understatement. And it goes into a bit more detail as to the problems with this game. So, you know, kudos to you guys for sticking with your guns and actually saying it how it is. Because trust me, you, you go to town on this game for it. Believe me, if I was playing this, I would have probably done a video of me driving my car over this because I would have been so annoyed. So you're you're going to town on it and you're probably doing it lighter than I would have done because I would have ripped this several new ones had I been cursed with this game. But yeah, this is unacceptable, I'm afraid, uh, Ravensburger and Alea. I mean, you've taken one of the most popular Euro games from like the last decade and you've completely ruined it in terms of its usability, its production design, its production component, like actual inventory, and all just so that you could change the theme. Was the theme redone so worth it that you've basically crippled the game? Something tells me maybe you should have thought a little bit more about actually making the game playable rather than just simply appeasing people who are complaining you know it's that's this really should have been better because it's a it's a punch in the face to those who wanted the theme change i wasn't like i say, i wasn't that fussed about the previous theme i look past it and i go look it's one of these things you know i mean i never got 
hard up about the viticulture world conquistador thing you know remember that controversy that blew up out of nowhere and stuff like that it you know most of these I just look past. I go, look, it's a part of the game. It's a part of the history. Yes, it's going to offend some people, but as long as they know going in that's like that, then you can make your decision not to play the game or buy the game based on that. Fine. Make your personal decision based on your beliefs and that. Perfectly fine. No problem with that at all. You know, if I was against, you know, if you did a a farming game, a Euro farming game that was based on the southwest of England, and you made out all the people in the southwest of England to be, you know, like doopy farmers, you know, we, you know, that talk weird, and you know, are seen as like the lesser intelligent workers that you could get in the worker placement. You know, if you basically did it to poke fun at the southwest of England. I'd probably be a bit annoyed by that, and I would probably be like, you know what, I don't want to support this game for that reason. So yes, I could have that problem, you know, if it's, you know, something close to my heart. So I can totally understand that some people wanted these themes changed. But for all the buzz that this was getting for that theme rechange, for all the, the online social media wars that were going on with this, because every time some of the, one of these things happens where a theme gets changed, you know, you'll get one half defending it, and then you get the other half against it, both of which have got you know, legit reasons for why it should or should not happen, but then both also have very bad reasons why it should happen, where it starts getting into flame wars and really offensive and frankly eye-rolling stuff. But, you know, for those who wanted this theme rechanged, they got what they wanted. Fair play. And now this is just punching them in the face for it. This is not acceptable, and this needs to be rectified fast for those people. But I just wanted to bring it to the attention because this is just like kind of like a shout out to publishers that you need to get this stuff right. Graphic design is important, rules are important, overviews are important, basic fundamentals of game design have been forgotten in this reprint. It is not acceptable in 2023, it's not really acceptable in the last decade and a half, frankly. But yeah. Basically, if you are really excited for this game, I am telling you now, hold fire and wait. Wait for this to be fixed, but even then, I don't think they can fix some of the really bad rules and, like, you know, graphic design stuff. So, honestly, if you want to check out Puerto Rico, I think you should just probably either find an online version of the one exists, or just try and find a second-hand copy of the original version. I know the theme's a bit more controversial, but at least you'll be able to play the game. <laughs> you know, so, yeah... Interesting little bit of rules, and this was some interesting reading when I found out about it. But yeah, not good for those who, you know, campaigned hard to get this done. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. All right, well, let's go on to some reviews then. So, quick reviews for free filler games. And just to, you know, hinder the fact if I was doing this on a video, I would be doing this as a promo as well. But all of these have been supplied by Kiender. This is the, you know, the official retailer sponsor of the channel. So, by all means, check out their store, check out their works, and use my referral code in the description of every video I do to get yourself a small discount on your first order over £60. But but yeah, they've got some cool stuff. They've got good prices, and uh, I use I go to I get their Sleeve King stuff. They've got some good prices for damage games if you don't care about the box. And they've just recently released a bunch of the Efferfield stuff in retail. Uh, Sky Mines, which I don't care about because it's Alexander Fister game. I probably won't like it, especially if it's based on Mombasa. But you know, it's there if you want it. Um, 
Great Western Trail, Argentina. It's there. £36. Pretty good price for it. Woodcraft. Check out my review. I don't think it's everything, but, you know, if you like it, great. They've even got the Europa Universalis, or whatever it was called. Uh, Universalis. The Price of Power. That huge monster game. So they got plenty of stuff on here, and they have sponsored this uh, channel for a long time, so thank you very much. But also, these free filler games I'm reviewing were from them. So by all means, check out their stuff and show some support, particularly if you're in the UK. But even overseas, you might be able to get yourself a decent deal. So, on to the actual filler games themselves. Now, yes, okay, they supplied me with this and they are a sponsor. They know how I roll. They know I talk honestly about games. So they know, and they have seen from the past... That just because they give me a game does not mean I'm going to like it. But that is not a precursor to this particular game. That's on screen. Codex Naturalis. Uh, Naturalis? Naturalis? I don't know how to pronounce it, but basically just Codex. <laughs> As if anyone cares about the tagline. Came out in 2021. This is a card, sort of card tableau game, in a sense, where... I mean, the theme is whatever. It says, you continue the work of the monk Tibor Quilene assembling the pages of a manuscript. Whatever. Like like anyone cares. It's an abstract card game. But basically, it's all about positioning. So what you're essentially doing is you've got these cards with different colors and, and icons on them. Kind of like an innovation style thing. And you you have to place them so that they're touching corners of cards, but only where there's a legit corner to do it so you can't place them over a blank space it has to have a little corner bit on it and what these cards do is that they get you these resource icons that you use in order to acquire the gold embossed cards that give you points for various conditions there's also a couple of common objectives that you go for as well as a secret one which could be based on getting a bunch of icons or in this case on this picture placement of cards but it's all about positioning and you know, you can play this with up to four players, you can pretty much play it solo, honestly. There's no official solo mode, but frankly, you could just play it by yourself and see what points you get, um, or how long it takes you. To... Actually, yeah, you could you could literally just play it by yourself and see how many points you get at the end. I mean, that's literally all it would need. But, this game really looks nice. I love these cards. These cards are great. You know, they, they look cool with the pictures, but the fact is, is that they're gold embossed on a lot of them. And it really didn't need to be, but... You know, the pictures might not show it exactly, but a typical resource card will be standard artwork, which already looks pretty good. There's some very nice imagery on these cards. But the gold embossed ones are really nice. Comes in a tin box. Yeah, you can probably see it stands out a bit more on here. And these are properly gold embossed cards. So that's a pretty good, like, amount of production design here. Comes in a square tin box, and I'm not the biggest fan of tin boxes, I've got to admit. But... The game is very simple. You basically play a card from your hand, of which you'll have three at a time, place it with the restrictions, uh, score any points if necessary immediately, and take another card from the display. And that's it. It just goes with all the players. It's a race to get to 20 points to end the game, but then you can score for end-game objectives and then who's got the highest. So there's a tension where people are racing to end the game either quickly or drag it out but then there's also the objectives to aim for so there's a good amount of tension with the scoring and scoring can be quite tight but if there is a problem with this game it's the fact that the player scaling is kind of what does it matter there's no reason to play this with more than two players because each additional player just adds time to the game and more chaos for the display that you choose from that's it there's nothing else nothing else from the other players is added by adding them in so honestly you're better off just playing this with two and it seems to be the most fun at two. It's a two-player card game. 
And I've played this with a friend on the cruise. I've even played it with another friend uh, who um, had who told me it was on Board Game Arena. So I've played it with her and it's like, oh yeah, sweet. We can play this on Board Game Arena and it's a very nice mod on there. But it's just as quick to play the card game really because it doesn't take much time to set up. It doesn't take much time to you know play it. Although you do have to keep the cards separate and sometimes you might struggle to tell which ones are the golden boss and which ones aren't if you've got bad lighting. So you do need to be a little bit careful with that. But it's a neat little card game, but it's just nothing special. It's it's not like, oh, this is going to be one of the great fillers. But it is a filler game, and it is well-produced filler game. I mean, it's uh, Bombix are the main people who have made this, and Bombix do good, well-produced mini little games. I mean, Abyss Conspiracy was another example of one that I really like, and of course I love Abyss and, other, and some of the other games they've made. But this is just a nice, elegant, very pretty card tableau positioning game and you know you'll have you you'll have some interesting decisions to make you know you'll be trying to make do from a tactical perspective with what you've got while trying to achieve objectives do you cover up this do you try and set your tableau up in this way you know so there's some interesting stuff there but it's not a game that blows my mind it's it's decent it's not that expensive it's it looks nice and it's pretty easy to play and easy to teach. I'd give this one probably a 7 out of 10. It's good and I can recommend it if you want a few if you want another filler game. I think there are better fillers overall, but this one is just a nice one that I you know what I can put on my shelf. It's pretty easy to hang on to and you can play it on board game arena if you want an easier method, but it's it's small, it's relatively compact and I played it on an oval glass table which wasn't particularly big, so it's not gonna play on like an airplane seat or anything but you could take it traveling and as i proved it worked fine for me on the cruise but just don't really bother playing this with more players three and four is unnecessary take this if you want a nice two-player filler to play with your spouse or something like that that's probably the best way to go about it all right the next one is cafe Cafe came out in 2020, and this one is basically to, in early 20th century Portugal, you're processing and delivering coffee. Again, the theme is mainly just there as a setting, it's pretty abstract, but this one uses that card mechanic that you've seen in a lot of games, where you overlay the card. So, smartphone does this with the tablets, Fall of the Mountain King does it with uh, the... Um, tapestry system that's in it and uh, games like uh, Honshu, Hokkaido and a couple of others even the Arborea game that I previewed back in January they use this system where you put cards and overlay grids in order to create more actions and space for yourself so with this one you're essentially making and processing coffee and so you try to build up your little company as a way now all these pictures all right that's better so these cards which are pretty big fairly abstract they've got spaces on them and they all have beans that you can produce which are represented by cubes yes it's got to be compact in a way it's got coffee shops that you can deliver cubes for for points it's got the coffee mug where you give you extra action points in a turn boats discount uh, certain things in the game but then there's also the roaster and the drying rack or whatever it's called i forget what the name of it is but basically what you have to do is that you have to first produce the beans then you have to get those beans onto the drying rack space, then you have to get those beans onto a roasting space, and then you either have to deliver them to your warehouse for set collection points or to the shops for whatever they want for more points. Now, the idea is, is that you have a certain amount of action points and a round to do those things, 
as well as some restrictions being that you have to take all the cubes of the same color at a time. So, you know, I might have produced a bunch of colors, but I can only take all of one color when I put it to the rack. And obviously you have to get them on your roaster in order to deliver them. You have as many action points in a round as you do coffee mugs. So in this particular diagram, uh, there's five there. So you've got five action points. It can go up to eight. So you're, when you're covering up these cards and there's restrictions on how you can do it, I think you always have to overlay at least one or two squares. You can't place them underneath. You're potentially covering up spaces that you might like to use, but you might want the stuff on the new card. And you basically just take these from an open draft um, at the start of a round. It's essentially an engine manage, engine builder management game. I mean, you're trying to build up an engine that's quick and reliable and efficient in order to get the most VPs. You don't have many rounds in this game. I think you only have six. And, you know, certainly solo mode in that, you only have six rounds. And this game feels like it's over a little bit too quick. It's not that the game is necessarily short, but you don't feel like you've achieved a lot in those six rounds before the game has now ended. It feels like you wanted the same length of time, but maybe two extra rounds just so that you could really let this machine get going. And, you know, otherwise, you are basically doing what you can. The solo mode is basically the exact same thing as the multiplayer mode. And this is, again, similar to Codex. The biggest problem with this game, in fact, it's an even bigger problem with this game because whereas I'll play Codex with two, even this one doesn't even warrant playing Cafe with two. There's really no reason to have multiplayer. It's entirely multiplayer solitaire. You have three cards that you take it in turns to draft from and it replenishes. That is the level of interaction in this game. I do not influence your beans. I do not influence your roasting or drying. I do not influence your VPs, your coffee shops. You can't deliver to my coffee shops. I can't deliver to yours. So there is no reason for anyone else to be playing this game other than extending the time length. That's it. And when you've got four of you with these cards overlapping, you need a decent amount of table space. But the game itself is okay. I mean, it certainly is tricky to do well in because, you know, I had a time when I was producing a ton of beans, but then because I didn't have many actions to do roasting and drying, it was inefficient to get them off. And the idea is, is that when you put them in contiguous groups, so all of these beans in this big connected group will produce at once, the same applies for roasting and drying. You want to get multiple drying spaces together and multiple roasting spaces together so that you can do more stuff at once per action point, hence being efficient. It's pretty much impossible to win this game if you don't have a decent, uh, efficient system of roasting and drying because you will just be too slow to get any decent amount of points. You really need to not produce too many beans without being able to do anything with them because if the beans are on your cards at the end of the game, who cares? Now, there is a variant in here to add these espresso cards in. I think they just make it a little bit more complicated. You know, and there's another variant to do an auction for the cards rather than draft. But that just adds more time and fiddliness to the game. And I don't think is worth it. But the with this one, it's fine. But I didn't get as much enjoyment as I wanted to, really. It's as a solo puzzle, it's not bad. I mean, if you like these engine builder style games and you like this look then you'll probably get a decent amount of fun out of it, particularly if you're going to play it as a solo puzzle game, because it's basically just beat your own score, which isn't that entertaining. But then, frankly, when you play it against another player, there's so little interaction that you just don't care. It's just a case of racing. It's just a case of beat your own score or beat their score, and that's it. The game doesn't play out any differently. So it's well-produced. It's got a good aesthetic. you got a ton of cubes that you're going to have to be fiddly with. 
and certainly it can lead to a lot of analysis paralysis with these action points because when you've got five, six, seven, eight action points, it's going to take that person a long time to come up with their turn. It just happens. I give Cafe a six out of ten. It's above average. It's fine. It's produced well. It's got a good you know, action point system and it's got a lot of tense decisions to make with the card overlapping, which I do like as a mechanic. But... It just doesn't really bring out the fun factor as much. And it is basically just a solo game. You know, adding the players really does nothing here. In fact, can this go to five players? I forget. How many players can this go to? Ah, thankfully only four. And it says here, best with two. Well, yeah, that's because literally there's no reason to add a third and fourth. And frankly, even adding a two is not that important. You might as well just play it solo. But yeah, one or two players is probably the best way to play it. 20 minutes, you'll be lucky. I don't know, 20 minutes even solo? That's, that's pushing it. But it's fine. It's not a bad game. It's just nothing particularly to write home about. It's It exists, whatever. You know, I was almost tempted to go down to a 5, but I think 6 is probably more fair because there is some good stuff to be had from here. And it, it is a tricky little puzzle to figure out and do well with, particularly with what cards you got given. So engine builder lovers are going to really like this. For me, it was fine, just nothing amazing. All right, and then finally, we have Q-Birds. Q-Birds is one of the more weirder-looking games I've seen because it uses this kind of blocky artwork for the birds here. But this is another little card game. Uh, Stefan Alexander has designed this, and it's very simple, um, also very simple to set up. I mean, you basically just shuffle all the cards together and deal out these three rows. That's it. That, that's the setup done. It really is that quick. But what you're essentially doing is you're trying to build a collection of birds in front of you. And it's either got to be, I think, one from every type or two types with three cards in them. So you're either diversifying or you're focusing here. And the idea is, is that you place cards, you have cards in your hand and these birds are of the different types. You can see yeah, the different species. And what you do is that you have to place all of one species from your hand to the left or right of the birds that are there. So I, mean, I might have two of these uh, like parrots here and I might put them to the left of this lot down here. I have no idea what some of these birds are. They're all weird blocky stuff. I'm guessing that's an owl. I'm not entirely sure, but like I say, I'm, what is the pencil bird supposed to be? <laughs> this little stick bird here. What is that meant to be? But the idea is, is that when you place the cards down, if you have managed to surround a bunch of cards with birds from the same species, so if you've got parrots on the left and the right and then birds in the middle, you take all those cards that are in the middle and then you keep them in your hand. You then can create a flock, which basically is dictated by the number on the top of the card. So you can have a small flock or a big flock, depending on how many of those are in your hand. And it allows you to place one or two cards respectively out in front of you for your tableau, which is related to winning the game, as I mentioned before. That's it. You carry on in that fashion until somebody meets the criteria and instantly wins. You can draw more cards in the deck if you place the birds out so that they don't surround anything, so it keeps more cards in the game. But it's basically a sort of back and forth where you're constantly drawing and placing cards down into this column tableau here in order to get the birds you need and put them in front of you and score. This becomes quite a messy game quite quickly, though, because, I mean, this is the tidiest you will probably see these cards. But when you start putting them down and picking them up and all that, these columns are going to be a mess. OCD players are going to have a field day with this. 
Now the rules are very simple. It's a very simple game to learn. And I do really like this colorful artwork with the blocky birds. I think it's a nice unique look and aesthetic. So it certainly does have the artistic artistic merit to speak of. But in terms of the gameplay, it does feel not only very light, you know, yeah, there is some little tactics that you can pull off at times, but for the most part, it is pretty light. But also, it's just way too chaotic when you add in more players. And I know this is a running theme with these games, but sadly, that's the way it is. I mean, this tableau doesn't change in size with players. So if I'm playing this with, I think this can be played up to five. Is that right? Five? Yeah, five players. No. Oh, hell no. We are not playing this with five. Because... When you add more players, it just means that these rows become more chaotic. So if you've got five players, and I've played this with four, right? I've played this with four, and I refuse to play it with five. I just outright refuse, because four is already too chaotic. Because you might as well just go out and buy yourself, you know, make yourself a drink, and then come back and see what's left, because the rows are going to have changed too dramatically. Add another player, and it's just going to be even worse. You know, the things Board Game Geek says best with three. And I probably agree. I think free is a good sweet spot for that little bit of chaos, but with enough fluctuation of the rows. Because the problem with only two of you is that the rows don't change quickly enough. You know, it, it's not too bad, and you will draw more cards in the deck, but it still doesn't jumble around enough in two players, whereas with four or five, it jumbles around far too much. So this ends up being a game for free. I don't think you can play this solo, and I don't see the point in really playing it solo. So this is mainly a two or three player game for me but it just I don't know I I like it but I don't love it this one with too many players this one is actually a game I don't like I think it's just way too chaotic with four or five and if you're planning to get this for that many players don't it just it's no point if you're going to make it that chaotic then you're basically just trusting to luck as to your means of actually being able to do well and you could just get hosed over really easily now with two or three of you, the game does improve, and there are some plays that you can make thinking, right, well, I don't think you've got birds in your hand of that species, so if I place this bird down here on the left, you're not going to be able to place those on the right, and even if you did, are you going to want those birds? You're aiming clearly for parrots, so can I stop you getting the parrots by making life harder for you? So with two or three of you, that's easier to do, particularly with two. But with too many players, you can't make that assumption about every player. It's just not possible. So, Cubers was nice, and it's charming, and it's light and very easy to teach. But again, it doesn't really blow my mind. It's, it's fine, and it does the job, but I don't find myself drawn to want to bring it out a lot. It's quick. It's not a long game. I mean, you're talking 30 minutes tops for this. It should be done and dusted pretty quickly. And I don't like the OCD nature of having to constantly fill around with these columns and rows because they start off nice and uniform. But once you start playing and drawing cards, oh my god, this thing becomes a mess. Unless you've got somebody dedicated to organise them really nicely. It's decent. I like it. But again, I just don't think it's like an amazing filler. It's not one that I'm saying, oh yeah, everybody needs to grab a copy of this. I'm thinking that this is a 6 out of 10 as well. It's above average. It's decent, but again, it's just not something that really blew my mind. I like filler games. I like short games. You can look at my top 10 lists on those topics, but there are other little filler games that I just think are better or more interesting. These have been decent. Now, Codex, I'll give a 7 out of 10 to. Codex, I think, is the best of these three games and is the one that I'm probably going to hang on to.
Q-Birds and certainly Cafe, I don't think I'm going to hang on to. I think they're going to go on a local bring and buy, you know, and, you know, or donate them. Well, yeah, donate them back the dice maybe if they haven't got them already. So, yeah, those two I think are going to leave the shelf. But I'll probably hang on to Codex because Codex is a neat little two-player game when I need it. And, you know, I know people that would probably play it. But even then, I don't know how much longer that will last, being only a 7 out of 10. These are free decent fillers they're okay they're not bad they're just not particularly good or great either uh, and, and i'm sure many of you will disagree and say that some of them are fantastic like some of you really love cafe some of you really love q birds but if so what am i missing um is there something about the game that i've not mentioned that you think is like the highlight for you but yeah i like them okay i just don't particularly love these right I've got my uh, headache getting slightly worse. I really do need a drink. So I think we're going to start wrapping things up there. And we're getting on to an hour anyway. So that's pretty good. So yeah, there you go. Free honest reviews of free fellow games. Kindly donated by Kiender. And of course I've got more stuff to do from them because as well as those fillers they've also sent me the Rattus Big Box. Now this one I'm very keen to get played because okay, it looks like a boring beige euro on the back of the box. Okay, fine. But 30 to 60 minutes, that's good, will be short, easy to teach, I would assume, I would assume it's light rules. Uh, the card artwork on the back here actually looks pretty decent, so even though the rest of the board looks beige, the cards look cool. It's the big box, so it's got the expansions in it, so we've got Pied Piper, uh, Academius, and Africanus, I don't know what any of these do. I don't even really know the gist of the game. You're basically uh, maneuvering rats around at the time of the Black Death. Uh, other than that, I don't know how the game works mechanically or anything. But this is regarded as one of those classic Euros that came out, I think, 2010. Got a bit of buzz, can't find it in print anywhere. And so I'm keen to see what this one was like. So, yeah, but I need to get it played first. So, yeah, it might be a little while before I can review that one. You will more than likely hear of Tenpenny, Goblin Vaults, and Ori Kalkin before you see Rattus, but it will come eventually. I just need to get it played, particularly with some of those mods, so it is going to take a little while. So that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video. If you like what you see, please remember, thumb this up on YouTube and keep it in the algorithm. And uh, one thing to also mention with the Ori Kalkin review is that it is a donated game by Zatu Games, and I will be, I have been given a second copy of Ori Kalkin, to give away as a prize. So as well as reviewing the game, I will also be giving it out as a prize. It will be very simple. I'll probably just get people to comment on the video with a hashtag broken meeple or something like that. And basically I'll pick a random winner. I'm in charge of posting it. So I will post it worldwide. I might need to ask for a little subsidy though if I post it outside of the UK because that will cost a fortune, but we'll work it out at the time or something I'll, I'll work out the logistics at that point but i will be personally posting it not zatu so i can make the decisions on how i'm getting up i've actually got the copy downstairs shrink wrapped and you know ready to go when that is the thing so that will be coming in the future but of course, be sure to check out the rest of the content. Check out the Obsession review, the Hegemony review, the Star Wars deck building game review, and of course, the top 10s I did for casual and next step games. I will get round to recording the top 10 advanced ones soon. I'm going to make that one of my priorities this week, so you will get to see that top 10 as soon as possible. But thanks for bearing with me whilst I went away for a week's holiday. I feel like at this point I'm going to need another week's holiday just to cope with what I'm about to come up with this week, such as the way with holidays. But uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll see you in the next uh, Broken Meeple review. Take care. Remember, it's only a game. Love you all. Bye for now.